Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Uh, let's try that again. Everybody doing all right? Okay, good, good. Yeah, no, I know it's been heavy. It's been so good to be with you and with our church this morning, and especially after this week, I've so needed this time to worship together with you this morning. And you probably didn't give me a good response because you're like, oh man, here's Jonathan. He's going to do a review of chapters one, two, and three of Romans and just talk about sin and how terrible we are, right? That's not the case this morning. That is not what I'll do. Um, we will be in Romans chapter 11 this morning. But I think we've realized, and if you haven't already, you, you should because of this past week, recognize that we live in a broken world. Our world is, is just full of brokenness, but not only just as our world, I mean, I don't want you to just think of our planet, but, but our neighborhoods are filled with brokenness and filled with people trying to fix that brokenness that's in their life and that's around them. And there might be even some in this very room this morning or watching us online as well that you're just trying to fix your own brokenness. Thinking that maybe alcohol will solve the, my problems. It will just allow me to forget everything that is going on. Or maybe one more purchase will bring me happiness. That, that one more thing will, will change my life. Or it's a new relationship or a different relationship that will solve my problem. But in the end, all of our attempts to fix our own brokenness, all it does is brings us back into brokenness. It doesn't help anything. And so I don't want to bring it back up, but I'm going to. Sin separates us from God. See, God's perfect design was all set up and sin is what caused us to fall into this world of brokenness and this separation from God. But God doesn't want us to live in brokenness, so he provided an answer for our brokenness and that is Jesus Christ. He provides salvation through his son, Jesus. And if you've never surrendered your life to him, if you've never said, Jesus, you've paid it all for my behalf so that I can live in, in God's perfect design, I pray and hope that you make that decision this morning, that you don't leave this place without knowing that you're walking with Christ. So this morning, we're in Romans chapter 11. We'll be in verse, uh, starting in verse number 11. Uh, and going through 24, and there's a lot of really good stuff, a lot of stuff that's really debated in our world, um, and, and so because there's so much good stuff, I'm just going to jump right in. I, I hope you guys don't mind. There's no funny story to start off with or anything like that, so we're just, we're just jumping right in. So just as a reminder, the history of what's going on in the Roman church at this time, uh, why Paul is writing his letter is he's writing to deal with um, divisions that were taking place in the church in Rome. So why did these divisions happen? Well, they happened mainly because Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome at that time, kicked all of the Jewish people out of Rome and said, you cannot be here, go away. And so then the church at Rome became completely Gentile. 
It was led by Gentile believers. Well, then time passed and the Jewish believers got to come back to Rome and they came back to their church. And they saw, man, my church is not the same. There's difference. There, there's a difference happening. Something has changed here and they didn't like it and so that created conflict. That caused division. Now, the first part of our text that we're going to read this morning, Paul is talking to the Jewish believers, and he's finishing up his, his conversation that he's having with them that's all the way, starts in Romans 9 and gets to where we are today in Romans 11. So he's talking to them. So read with me verses 11 and 12. It says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Paul responds, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So Paul is finishing up this explanation that he started back in chapter 9 of the state of the Jews. What about the Jewish people now? And he simply asked, is there any hope for the Jews? Or did they stumble so far as to fall from God's grace is there any chance of recovery or is God done with his people Israel and in typical Paul style or fashion he answers with an emphatic no right he says by no means and then he continues to explain what happens because of Israel's rejection of Jesus so you see there in your copy of God's word it says through their trespass so what was their trespass well, it was their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, right? Because they rejected Jesus, which we see all through the book of Acts and we see all through the Gospels, the church, which at the very beginning was full of Jewish believers, began to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and when the church took the gospel to the Gentiles, they responded. They began to believe in the gospel. They be believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the people of God, the people that God came to, Israel, refused salvation. Refused to accept Christ as their Messiah but then the people who should have had no clue found salvation, the Gentiles. So Paul says this is all happening for a reason. And he shares his reason why he gave an emphatic no. He says God's not done yet with Israel. See, God is using the salvation of the Gentiles to draw his people back to him. Draw his people back to his original design. But he's doing this by making them jealous. Now, this jealousy is not jealousy of how we understand it today. Our understanding of jealousy today is that person wants this person back for his or her own good or his or her own benefit. But see, jealousy in God's case is he wants Israel's, Israel back for Israel's benefit. See, God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. And he especially has no needs that can be met from his creation. Israel and all of God's creation, us included, 
We have needs, and those needs can only be met by God and in God. And so knowing this, God wants his creation to return to him out of brokenness, back to God's perfect plan. So this jealousy that we talk about here in Romans leads to redemption. It has a redemptive purpose. This jealousy will lead to Israel's salvation. So we continue in verse 12. Their rejection of Jesus became riches for the rest of the world. How? How did their rejection of Christ become riches for the rest of the world? Well, because now the message came to the Gentiles. It came to us. So God's not done. Paul uses two words here that are kind of against each other. He says their failure and their full inclusion. Even though they slipped and failed, they rejected Jesus. One day they'll be brought back up into full inclusion. And everything they lost will be given back to them. Now, hear me out. Paul is not saying that every single Israelite will be saved. See, we've already covered that and seen it in Romans earlier where many of the Jews rejected Christ and died under God's judgment. The only way any of us are saved is how? Through Jesus, right? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So what Paul is saying is that the present situation of the Jewish people will one day be reversed. There will be a future day when Jews will be saved to the point that is described as their fullness. And his point is that if there is rejection of Jesus was blessing for the Gentiles, and if it had a positive effect on the world, what do you think will happen then when the Jews accept Jesus? Something even greater. Something greater than we understand of our own salvation now, the return of Christ. So now moving on in verses 13 through 15, Paul continues. He says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So now Paul switches his focus from the Jewish believers to the Gentile believers in Rome. And this is where we see Paul's heart. He's saying, listen, Gentiles, if if more and more and more of you come to know Christ, That means the more the Israelites will become jealous. And Paul is hoping to see some of his Israelite brothers and sisters come to know Christ. And then he thinks, man, what a splendid ministry that will be, not only to the Gentile world, but also to the Israelite world. It'll be greater because people will come to know Christ. Now, verse 15 says, for if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Do you see what he's doing here? Do you see what Paul's doing? He's, he's picturing a future fulfillment 
of something to happen in the nation of Israel. He's saying, hey, look, right now, God has turned his back on them, and he has placed his face towards the Gentile world. But one day, he's going to look back at them, and there's going to be fulfillment, life from the dead. So what does that mean, life from the dead? Well, right now, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are dead. As a nation, they said, no, he is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. We are already made righteous, and we're waiting for a king to set up his kingdom. But see, they've missed it. They missed Jesus. But one day that will change. Salvation will come to Israel, and it will be life from the dead. And, that when Israel, and, and that's when Israel will be saved. And we don't know how, and we don't know when, but one day it will happen. Now, Paul gives us a picture to try to explain how this salvation comes to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And we read that in verses 16 through 19. So continue on with me. It says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Now, Paul gives us two pictures, one's of, of dough and then others of a tree. And since Paul runs with the tree, we're going to do that as well this morning. So a little bit of history behind uh, Old Testament history. The root that is holy refers to the promise of God's salvation given to Abraham. Now, the important thing to remember about the root is that it was through Abraham's faith that the root is called holy. So Abraham is the root. Who are the branches? The branches are the ethnic Jewish people. See, they were connected to Abraham genetically, the original recipients of the promise. So what happened? Why all this breaking off of the branches? Well, as we've made clear already, they rejected Jesus. The Jewish people rejected Christ. Paul says because of that rejection, they were broken off. And this is not a good thing, right? Basically, it means that they have been removed from God's blessing and fall under his judgment. So because of their unbelief, the Israelites have been cut off. But God does something amazing. With the removal of the original branches, the unbelieving Jews, God grafts in olive, wild olive shoots. And that's us, the Gentiles, right? Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. So now what is grafting? What, what does that mean? And some of you have probably done this before and are professionals, and I had never done it, and I have really no clue what I'm talking about, but let me give you an example, all right? You cut a branch off of this tree, and you take it to this tree over here, and you make a notch in that tree, slide it in there, tape it all up so it holds, and that branch eventually becomes part of that tree, right? Make sense? Everybody? Okay, okay, I, th I think I explained it right, but that's grafting, all right? 
So that's the image here. The original branches, the Jews, were broken off, and the wild branches, the Gentiles, were grafted in. So now stay with me. Paul is addressing a certain issue right here with the Gentiles. He says, don't become arrogant. See, basically they were saying, y'all were cut off and missed it. Look at us, we're grafted in. But Paul says, hey, don't be arrogant. Now why? Why does he say that? He says, because you don't support the root. The root supports you. Basically, Gentiles, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Israelites. You're connected to their root. Now, Paul continues and gives them another reason not to be arrogant, found in verses 19 through 22. He says, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud. But fear, there's our response. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Wow. This is some verses there. Right, here we go. The second reason that Paul, the Gentiles cannot be arrogant is because they were only grafted in by faith. Paul says, you didn't get grafted in because of something that you did or because you're better than the Jews. Israel didn't believe and they were broken off. And you were grafted in because you stand fast through faith. Now, this is where some of us might get messed up here. See, Paul says... If God didn't spare Israel, he won't spare you either. Okay, so please pay attention. When we start talking about cutting things off of the tree, our radar begins to go off, right? And we go, oh my gosh, what about my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? Will I be cut off and lose my place in heaven? So hold on, stop. Everybody, deep breath. Ready? Here we go. We only look at one aspect of our salvation, which is our past justification. That time and date when we trusted Christ with our life and he saved you, he justified you. And yes, all those who are truly saved and justified will be saved forever. But the Bible does not stop at our past salvation. See, the Bible speaks of our continued salvation. That's called sanctification. And we have totally lost this concept in the church today. To be saved is to continue in salvation, is to persevere in your faith until the day you die. And Jesus uses a similar analogy in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, what happens? He's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So don't miss the point here. Jesus is not talking about eternal security. 
And neither is Paul in Romans chapter 11. What both of these passages are doing is calling believers to persevere, to keep going, to remain dependent on God's grace. So those who are justified will be sanctified and ultimately glorified. See, a true believer will never fall away from God. But that's because a true believer will persevere in the faith. So what's Paul's point then? He says, do not become proud, but fear. And he's not talking about fear that runs away and hides. No, he's talking about a fear that has healthy respect for God. A fear that is in awe of who God is. And this fear comes when we consider the kindness and the severity of God. See, God is kind. God is good. But he is also severe in his judgment. He takes sin seriously. And we should never take God's kindness for granted. Now, if we look at verse 23 and 24, Paul gives us one final reason that the Gentiles should not become arrogant, despite what they think. See, the Gentiles have not replaced Israel. And we should, and, and God is not done with his Old Testament people. So read with me 23 and 24. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree. So here it is again, Paul talking about a future hope of Israel. God has the power to graft them in again. God has the power to graft in wild branches, so then he can definitely graft in natural branches. See, Paul is saying, look, if God can connect a people who had no connection to the original promise, if he can connect to people who had no knowledge of the Old Testament or of the law, then he can connect his own people and save them. And he can do that with Israel. Now, I know this is a debated issue, and many people are everywhere on this, along with everything else that we see in Romans chapter 9 through 11. But there will be a day of spiritual restoration, a day when the Jews will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see this happening, turn your head towards Christ coming back. So what do we take away from all of this? (laughs) What's our takeaway? There are three things that we can learn about being the people of God from the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in Rome. And these three, these three things are so important when it comes to the life of Blue Valley Baptist Church, when it comes to the life of the church in general, when it comes to our world. Number one, the people of God are humble. We must be humble. Remember how we started at the very beginning uh, talking about the history of the church in Rome? Right, the Jewish believers came back to their church and they walked in and they said, whoa, somebody's sitting in my pew. 
And they removed all the hymnals and put up screens. And they have no clue what food to bring to the potluck, right? Those are the types of things that were going on. I don't know, not really, probably, but there was conflict, right? There was conflict going on. And at the heart of conflict and division is arrogance and pride. The Jewish Christians had pride because they were the nation of Israel. They had the law. They were circumcised. They thought that they were all that. The Gentile Christians had pride because they believed in Jesus without all the Jewish advantages. And plus, they just simply looked at the Jewish believers and said, y'all crucified Christ. Come on, right? But Paul says to both groups, he says, you're nothing special. Jesus is the only reason any of us are here. And this rings true for us today. The only reason any of us are here is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We have nothing to boast in except for Jesus. And it's all about God's grace. See, we didn't plant the tree. God did. Branches can't graft themselves into a new tree. God does. The people of God must be humble. So what does humility look like? If you open up Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, the church in Rome had conflict because they focused on themselves. We must be a people who are more concerned about others, not just our own interests. So, how do we judge if we are selfish? How do we judge ourselves? How do, we, how do we look and say, man, am I selfish? Well, consider your prayers. Do you pray just for situations in your life? Do you, are your prayers just self-absorbed about you and God blessing you in different areas? Consider what you post on social media. Is it all about you? Think about what you complain about. See, it's easy to get caught up in gossip. But we need to stop and consider the world around us. Simple as this. Maybe some of you are going out to eat today. And your meal takes too long. Instead of simply going, man, who can I blame? Who's at fault for me not getting my pizza. Instead of that, maybe just practice patience. And don't point a finger at somebody. And be Christ to that person. Or I'm going to twist the spoon a little bit here. Maybe somebody's driving too slow in front of you. All right? Instead of just zooming around them and giving them a number one sign and blowing their doors off, like my dad says, you know, you just be patient. And you think of others before yourself. And you don't put a bunch of people in danger because you're passing in a no-passing zone. 
because that person in front of you might have just gotten some bad news. They might have just heard from a doctor and said, man, it's not looking good for you. Or they might have just heard from a loved one and they've lost them. We think of others before ourselves. We become humble people. See, because it's not about you. As believers in Christ, we've been crucified with Christ and it's I who no longer lives, but it's Christ who lives through me. We must be humble people. Number two, the people of God are unified. See, now Paul doesn't describe two different trees. He doesn't say, hey, there's a Jewish tree and there's a Gentile tree. No, we are one tree all attached to the same root. We are one people of God through faith in Jesus. And this was the message that Paul was trying to get across to the church in Rome. And it's same for the church today. We must be unified. Listen to one of the last things that Jesus prayed. He says, Father, I pray that they may be one. He's talking about us. That we would be one, unified. We'll hear in Romans chapter 12 a little bit later uh, that unity does not mean that we're all the same. See, the most beautiful picture is the picture of the church because we're an extremely diverse group unified under the cross. But when we take our eyes off the cross and put it on our opinions, we put it on our wants, we put it even on our beliefs, we begin to throw unity out the window. And Jesus' prayer for unity in us has a purpose. It has a huge purpose. And he says it. He says the purpose is that the world would see him and believe in him because they are unified. See, if we focus on ourselves, we will not be unified as a church and the world will not believe. Y'all, we need to be different. We need people that are lost and walking in hopelessness look to the church and go, there's something different about those people. They're unified and they're all completely different. But they love you. We must fight for unity. And then finally, the people of God are growing. How many of y'all try to plant a garden? Anybody? Anybody garden planters? All right, a couple out there, right? Maybe just some flowers. Maybe it doesn't have to be a garden, right? When flowers are not growing, what's happening? What are they doing? They're dying, right? When, when my garden's not growing, it's dying. And the same is true about us, the church. If the church is not growing, it's what? It's dying. And by growing, I don't mean other Christians coming to be a part of the work that God's doing here at Blue Valley. No, but I mean us leading our lost neighbors and friends and family members and co-workers to Christ, and we grow that way. See, I've worked in many churches. I've worked in many churches, some that are still actively reaching their communities and some that are just trying to stay alive. And those that are just trying to stay alive are so focused in on themselves that they've stopped caring 
about their community and reaching people. See, God is extending his grace towards us right now. But there will be a day when God says, I'm done. He extends his grace to the Israelites and then it's done. And we are all in heaven. But our job, while God is gracious to us, is to share the grace that we have received through Jesus with others. So please hear me on this. I did not surrender my life to Christ because we had an amazing student ministry or children's ministry. I didn't surrender my life to Christ because we had uh, an amazing music and fog and lights and all that kind of stuff. No, I surrendered my life to Christ because I saw something different in the people of the church that I was invited to go to, which was 1997 in that building over there with the red carpet and the gold chandeliers and all of its ugliness, right? But there was something different. The people were different. And what was different? They loved the Lord their God with all their mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then they loved their neighbor as themselves. And then ultimately, someone loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. So it's not church programming that's going to change the world. The church in Rome is no longer there that Paul wrote this letter to. Blue Valley one day will no longer be here. But we must impact the world around us because of who we love, and that is Jesus. So it's followers of Jesus that stop caring. As followers of Jesus, we need to stop caring about ourselves and live for others. That's what's going to see the lost world saved. And our world right now so desperately needs this message. We need to share the gospel so that God can continue to graft people in. So now how? How do I do that? One simple thing. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are accountants. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are moms and dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles. We're not labeled by that, though. You're not who you are because of what you do. You're a follower of Jesus Christ that happens to be a doctor. You're a follower of Jesus Christ that happens to be a business owner, that happens to be an accountant, that happens to be, you put your, your whatever you do in that blank. So now we take what we do and we allow Christ to just filter through it all and we share what God is doing in our life and lead people to hope. So let us strive to be a people of God who are humble, who are unified, and who are growing for his glory and his glory alone. Would you pray with me?